Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. What an exciting time it is here in the icebox days of the winter of 2019-2020. We have the caucuses, such as the Iowa caucus, and the presidential primaries underway. And we have the trial in the United States Senate concerning impeachment of the President of the United States. What could be more exciting? And yet, are those really the biggest stories of the day? Well, certainly they are on talk radio across this nation and around the world, in fact, wherever you can find that being listened to and being engaged in. And certainly those are the major stories amongst the major media, major media elites, and to a great extent online. But then there are other stories that are on the verge of exploding into extreme importance, such as in China and fanning out from communist China around the world. At any given point in time, there are certain stories that galvanize the interest. You know, whatever bleeds leads. And certain stories that are reported on, if you can call it reporting, ceaselessly. And one talk radio program after another, after another, after another on any given channel, just just the whole lineup will beat these to death with the stick, even if what they are beating to death is only superficial elements of the story. But at any given point in time, there are bigger stories beneath the surface. Icebergs that can cause vastly more damage and destruction and are in truth of much greater import. But concerning the caucuses and the primaries, where the principal focus, understandably so, is on the Democrat challenges to the president. And these are not in isolation or independence from the impeachment trial of President Trump. No. No, they are hand-in-hand, or at least hand-in-glove. Now, I don't know what you view as being the prime movers of the whole impeachment process. You know, why is this taking place? What is really at the root of it? Is it just these valiant, gallant, exceedingly honorable 
Democrat leaders seeking to root out corruption. Is that what it is, really? (laughs) Uh, I imagine, and I'm sure, I know there are undoubtedly millions that do subscribe to that extremely uh, foolish premise or naive premise or gullible premise, but I have said from the get-go, from back, (laughs) you know, more than four years ago, that this man who became president, that he was corrupt and he wasn't worthy of the office. But (laughs) he was still preferable to any number that had been in that office before him. And once he secured the nomination to the nomination holder of the Democrats, vastly superior. And I stand on that. But I also said time and again that he was corrupt. And I stand on that. But concerning the Democrat contenders, aspirants for this office, dear, dear Academician, professor, that is, Senator Elizabeth Warren. What a woman. What a leader. (laughs) She is campaigning exceedingly heavily, focusing on the fact that she is of the female gender. And drawing great attention to this and insisting this is of vital importance that America have women leadership, as if we don't have all manner (laughs) of women in leadership at this point in time. But it is of vital importance we have a woman president. Because without a woman president, (laughs) we can't, of course, we can't have the freedoms and opportunities for women that we would otherwise have. Strange. And I'll just give you a quote from her. Quote, to have an America where women are really secure, where access to health care is safe and readily available. We need to have women representing us, and we need to have people who are sympathetic to women representing us in all parts of our government, in all states across this country. That is our mission. End quote. That is her mission. (laughs) That is what she is claiming is her mission. But whom did she deliver this wonderful address to, of which this is one featured quote? She was addressing none other than the largest, richest, induced abortion-pushing organization in the induced abortion racket in the world, 
overload these many, many, many bloody, gory decades. Planned Parenthood. To have an America where women are really secure, where they are secure, what is she talking about here? Is she talking about that they are secure from violence on the street? Secure from home invasion? Where they are able to carry firearms, concealed firearms, anywhere in the country that they happen to be, in New York City, in Chicago, in the state, the great state of New Jersey, in Connecticut, in Massachusetts, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, and all across the nation. Is that what she's talking about? No. No, that is not what she's talking about. These places where typically it is all but impossible to gain a concealed carry license, especially San Francisco, my home turf, (laughs) where last I knew that they had only issued one dozen concealed carry permits over a span of many, many, many years. And those were to people who supposedly had a much more compelling reason to be carrying a firearm than for self-defense like you or I. But they had a compelling, really compelling reason, which persuaded the powers that be to permit them to obtain a concealed carry permit. Or Chicago, and again, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and Massachusetts, Boston, New York City. Yeah, try getting one of those for the women whom we want to be secure. No, that's not what she's talking about at all. She's talking about women being free to be rapaciously exploited, and for the babies, the unborn babies in their wombs, to be subjected to vicious, murderous search and seizure, unconstitutional search and seizure and destruction. What a woman. What a defender of women. What a great, great model for women. Just like Hillary Rodham Clinton. Chip off her sister's block there. Yeah. The same great qualities. Both lawyers. Oh, but Elizabeth Warren. Yes, wouldn't that be exciting for her to be the first woman president in the United States of America? But you know, more important than that, as far as I'm concerned, would be that she would be the first Native American Indian president of the United States of America. This woman who has shamelessly or shamefully, take your pick, exploited this matter of laying claim, proudly laying claim to this debatable, dubious claim to ancestry of Native Americans. And she is to be believed and she is to be trusted, this great woman, this great Great woman. Really exciting. Of course, the New York Times. New York Times, the gray lady. 
the grand old gray lady couldn't quite decide whether they should throw all of their support behind Elizabeth or whether perhaps it should go to Amy, but they split it so we can have co-presidents. Well, I would go them one better than that. I think instead of merely having co-presidents, which William Jefferson, Bill, Bubba, Clinton announced to the nation we had after he was elected, namely himself and Hillary Rodham, War Room Clinton, that they were co-presidents. <laughs> they got a, we got a two-for-one there. But I would go a step further. I would say the Democrats should really, really be creative here and really take a giant step forward and say, you know what? Let's just forget about this. This old, archaic nonsense of having one president, one vice president, and then a cabinet of questionable authority, you know, in terms of how much authority do they really have and so forth. Let's stop this nonsense. Let's have multiple presidents. Let's agree that every major Democrat candidate, everyone that was permitted into any of the presidential debates should get to be one of the co-presidents. And then we can take turns. You know, this is Monday, so it's Elizabeth's turn. Tuesday, Amy. Wednesday, Bernie. Thursday, Joe. Friday, Tulsi. And just keep on going. Get Corey in there for Saturday. And just keep on moving it down the field. And let's get Pete. Buddha Judge. Let's get him in there for Sunday. That would be a good place for Petey. Petey and his hubby. And let's have them all in the White House. Not just on the cabinet. Not just... Secretary of this, that, and the other thing, but co-presidents. You know, we people, we get tired of this president or that president. Let's have enough variety there that we can stay interested and excited by this administration. It's just just a thought. Uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, they won't won't give it... Too much consideration. We'll give it short shrift, but I just think it's a, it would be a wonderful, wonderful improvement, don't you? Hmm? Get to have them all in there, and not merely as Secretary of State and Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and Secretary of Health and Human Services and so forth, Secretary of Defense, but instead of that, have them all get to be president. Hmm? Well... Then there's the question, okay, well, what do we do if there is need for presidential succession? I say throw it open. Say it can be any one of them. All right? It can be. We will just continue that way. That every one of them has equal right to the presidency. So something befalls the one, 
that is viewed as being the president, that's all right. We've got another dozen of them or two dozen of them, and we just, you know, won't skip a beat. (laughs) Meanwhile, in an extremely illustrious, knowledgeable, rich nation, which is also a very cold nation and has a small population, I believe a population of approximately 4 million people, Norway, or Norway, which was occupied by the Nazis during World War II, and in which there was a valiant, valorous, underground campaign against the Nazis. In Norway, they are enlightened. Their enlightened leadership is a government dominated by women. Not merely dominated in the sense that our government, our federal government and state governments are dominated by, let's say, people of color and women of color. I'm not talking about mid-level down or as Barack Hussein Obama stacked the deck middle middle level up. I'm referring to the very top spots. You know, prime minister and so on and so forth and cabinet dominated by women. Yes. What a wonderful example Norway is. It's just extraordinary. But uh yes, concerning their repatriation efforts, you know, of expatriates who should uh, choose to become ISIS brides and so forth. But anyway, it is a wonderful place. Do you happen to recall a number of years ago, I have commented on it more than once, but there was an especially monstrously heinous premeditated mass murder attack waged against teenagers and very young people. And it was at a summer camp on an island. And this neo-Nazi went in there and slaughtered all whom he could. Well, the Norwegians... Their security people, so forth, of course, they could not hurt him. They had to take him alive because that's the way we do things. Not just Norway, not just UK, United States of America. Yes, some (laughs) somebody who is spooked by the police and perhaps matches up with the description of somebody or other and who maybe has committed a crime. A low-level crime, a modest crime, not a violent crime, let alone a capital crime, but who, who has committed some property crime or something and is chased, <laughs> takes off, and the police chase after, and the person winds up dead, shot down. But when there are vicious, murderous, mass murderous attacks, no, don't hurt them. Take them alive. Always take them alive. Just like that kidnapper, rapist, murderer that was captured down in Alabama a bit ago. 
and had this hostage at knife point and injured multiple police, but they had to take him alive because it's so much better to do that. That's the way it is in highly civilized societies. And then we spend forever going through the legal process, spending a fortune of taxpayer money that could be spent on, oh, I don't know, how about care for pregnant young women, for their babies, for encouraging them to bring their babies to term and at least give them up for adoption, you know, instead of, instead of relying on the security of the savagery of induced abortion, unlike Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Rodham Clinton and so forth. Of course, the vast majority, apparently, of induced abortions now are being done chemically with over-the-counter drugs. It is such a leap forward. It truly is tremendous. But anyway, dear old Norway, this mass murderer, monster, neo-Nazi, whom they took captive, And they tried him, and they put him in prison, and they have treated him with kid gloves. And there's been this interesting dichotomy that, on the one hand, they have made every effort to afford him every benefit and recreation and intellectual pursuits, entertainments and so forth, company, companions. But at the same time, they've had to be very, very careful because they're afraid he at a moment's notice, will murder people. <laughs> so it's just a curious thing. But he's due to be released sometime in the, in the near future because he's just that kind of guy. Or in the U.K., the two black Islamist U.K. citizens, I believe, who slaughtered the outstanding young white Christian military man whom had just returned from Afghanistan or Iraq and who was a musician. And he was unarmed and he was unsuspecting and he was crossing a street and he was outside of uh, military barracks or whatever and they spotted him. They were laying wait for somebody to murder And they ran him down, and then they got out, and they hacked away at him with a meat cleaver and machete and so forth. And they were taken alive, and they were tried, and they were put in prison, and they were sentenced to five years in prison. That's how highly the British government values the lives of the good when they are slaughtered by the evil. It's just a thing of beauty in these enlightened societies. Well, President Trump, he became the first president ever to speak at the March for Life this year. And as is his wont, he couldn't resist boasting about it. (laughs) It's just the way he is. He's a boaster. He's a braggart. It's who he is. It's in his DNA. And some people might 
look askance at his making this appearance and speaking there and might accuse him of doing this for political gain, you know, appealing to a base, a Republican base, core base, independent base that values life, that sort of thing. But they might view this as being, you know, purely politics, purely political, because after all, he was pro-abortion, oops, pro-choice, forever and a day before he, you know, before he wasn't. But whether he did this out of sincere belief and conviction, which I don't think he has any of those, namely convictions, beliefs, values, Sincere or otherwise. I just don't believe he does. But you could say, well, people keep on developing, or others would say evolving, of course. People keep on developing. Who's to say that he hasn't, you know, evolved (laughs) to have very strong values about this? Well, frankly, I haven't seen that development in other areas, and I find it very, very, very hard to believe that he has developed in this regard. But in any case, it still was the right thing to do. The question is, one question is, why didn't he do it before now? Why didn't he do it until January 2020? Why not back in January 19, not 19, 2017? His First out-of-the-box moment. Couldn't he have done it right then and made a signature statement and done it as soon as he got to the White House? If he had any beliefs, any convictions, any values whatsoever, are you telling me he didn't have enough time to think about it beforehand? He didn't have time to mull this over and say, you know what? I'm stepping into the presidency at this point in time and look what the date is and look what's on the calendar and it's time for the annual March for Life. Why is it he couldn't have made an appearance right then, right there? Two days into the presidency, let's make our appearance. But no, not 2017, not 2018, Why not? Not 2019, 2020. Right? <laughs> so if he is not reelected, and if he is not president a year from now, one way or another, either by not being elected or by being successfully convicted on the impeachment trial and removed from office, if he is not president, and or health problems and what have you, if he is not president one year from now, then this was his last opportunity to do this. Why? Why wait? What was wrong with doing it as soon as he was president, at his first opportunity in 2017? And following that up 
with 2018 and 2019 and now 2020. And yet, (laughs) there are a great many people out there, Trump supporters all the way, who they are just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. What a great man he is. No. He got to be president. And this is true of so many who have been president before him. And with those who seek to succeed him to the presidency. He got to be there through a life of unrighteousness and ungodliness. That's how he became president. And that has been true of (laughs) so many others. It's a great irony. And it's amazing how many people really deceive themselves. They just do not have (laughs) sufficient intellectual honesty to look at this squarely and say, okay, so-and-so is voting this way now, or they're supporting this piece of legislation, or they are saying this to our group. They are giving this speech to us. Surely they really deeply feel this, and they have been a great champion of this forever. No. No. (laughs) Typically... They have not been anything of the kind or done anything of the kind, but then they find it politically advantageous to do such and such, and they are lauded for their worthiness. It really never ceases to appall me. Before I go a step further, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and good and true in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. But, interestingly enough, (laughs) and these polls, I mean, I just ignore them 99% of the time, I completely ignore them, but I happened to see the results of a poll and concerning Americans' thoughts about whether the president should be removed from office. And curiously enough, <laughs> uh, there was not this consensus of desire for the president to be removed from office. Strangely enough, no. Instead, there was actually a a slight favoritism towards the president. How can that be? Well, you could say it's the economy, stupid, 2.0. You know, last time around, when... With dear old Bubba Clinton, it's the economy, stupid, and he was the contender vying with the incumbent, George Herbert Walker Bush, who was greatly, greatly weakened, crippled, actually, 
by the loss of his campaign manager, Lee Atwater, to brain cancer. Lee Atwater, whom the Democrats hated more, I would say, than anybody that has come down the pike. (laughs) More than Ronald Reagan, more than George W. Bush, more than Donald Trump. Why? Lee Atwater was a political operative. Why did they hate him with the intensity that they did? And it's because, as I've mentioned before, inside and outside, immediately outside the Beltway, uh, a little ditty that you may hear is that the Democrats are the evil party and the Republicans are the stupid party. And it has proven out so many times, but... The Republicans err on the side of being the weak, apologetic party. Oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to offend you. And they're not saying it disingenuously. They're saying it a matter of, oh, oh, we're so sorry we didn't mean to. And so we apologize for breathing while the Democrat attack dog is at their throat. Uh, That is a very, very, very common scenario. Lee Atwater completely turned the tables on that. He was the rarest of the rare. He was a Republican political operative who did not play by the Marquis of Queensbury rules. He played hard and tough. And he gave no quarter. And he was responsible for the election of number 41, President Bush 41. But he was not able to serve in that capacity for re-election. But this curious situation that we find ourselves in now, you would think, well, the economy, the economy's stupid. I thought that was a Democrat thing. I, you know, I thought the Democrats owned that. Well, they did. They owned the verbalization of it. The campaign stump speech of Bill Clinton, but not the concept And not the numbers. And President Trump is enjoying (laughs) the it's the economy stupid phenomena this time around, but as the incumbent, not as the challenger. Now, you may have various ideas about why it is, again, that that the impeachment process has gone forward and has reached the place where it has and so on and so forth. Again, that it's a matter of just the Democrats that are so honorable and noble and seeking to serve the American people are just so offended by the corruption of Donald Trump and they insist on removing him from office. I view it differently. I view it that they do not believe they can defeat him at the ballot box and or that at least they are very, very, very anxious and unsure about whether they can unseat him or not. And so that they feel that this is the best thing to do. 
at the very, very, very least, it will greatly weaken him and enable them to win by a, you know, a sliver margin, by the narrowest of margins. Give them triumph instead of defeat, you know? But on the other hand, it has also greatly energized his base. (laughs) But we will see. We will see how things go with regard to that. Personally, I think it would have been wiser. I've mentioned it before, but I think that that Nancy Pelosi was torn about this, about which tack to take. Do we attack now? It wasn't a question of whether to attack. It was, do we attack now and at the very least weaken him and hopefully remove him, but at least weaken him and enable us to take the presidency? Or do we wait? And then if we fail to defeat him, then, then go after him with the impeachment process. Well, apparently what may have tipped it in favor of moving when they did is the idea that they could have their cake and eat it too. They could attack him now. And if they fail to unseat him and fail to elect their nominee, that they can take another whack at him a year from now. So I think that's why they arrived where they did. It certainly was not righteousness. It was not godliness. No. The Democrat Party as a whole is as righteous, as honorable, as honest, as trustworthy as Elizabeth Warren. They all believe the same things. They have the same convictions. It's a very, very, very rare case when you find somebody like Tulsi Gabbard who is a couple degrees removed from the consensus of all the rest. Very, very rare. (laughs) Even just a slight deviation. But, oh well. One of the big stories, though, looming on the horizon, well, again, this in China, in Wuhan, a city of 10 or 11 million, depending on what report you believe, in Hubei province, surrounded by at least 13 other cities. Wuhan, again, 10, 11 million people, surrounded by 13 other cities in Hubei province, combined population of more than 33 million people, pardon me, people. More than 33 million. Pretty good-sized population, wouldn't you say? But beyond that, there also is a great deal of travel in and out of Wuhan. 
And lo and behold, as I have seen with similar things, like with SARS and so forth, is that these outbreaks of these terrible life-threatening viruses tend to be tied to just uh, amazing ignorance and what have you, <laughs> and dirtiness and what <laughs> that sort of thing in these exotic places, you know, <laughs> whether it's in China or elsewhere around the globe. What is suspected to have initiated this pestilence, this plague, this epidemic, which is threatening to burgeon into a pandemic, is none other than wild animals being sold at a food market in the city. Wild animals being sold at one food market in this massive city. Amazing. A city with a population that is as great or greater than the entire greater Los Angeles. And then again, with 13 surrounding cities and total population well above 30 million. And at one, at one food market, supposedly, wild animals were sold. Well, the death toll so far has been very low, very low. But the number of people affected, many hundreds, but I can't help but think this is one of these explosive things that we will see numbers just multiplying horrendously, very quickly. And a couple, three people here in the United States of America who had traveled to Wuhan have been diagnosed as having this coronavirus. I'm pronouncing it that way. I haven't heard the correct pronunciation, so bear with me. Coronavirus. But one expert... Very expert fellow. He said the following, quote, I've never felt scared. This time I'm scared. It's quite a statement from this particular man. He is an expert in viruses. He works at Hong Kong University. He traveled to Wuhan to see this firsthand. And his statement, uh, to me, is just an extraordinary one, to say, I've never felt scared. You know, with all of the things that there have been, all manner of terrible types of epidemics, diseases, and so forth, and he says, I've never felt scared. He's never felt frightened before by the gravity of the diseases, the epidemics, pandemics, that he has witnessed before, but this time, this time he's frightened. And he fears that it's too late. The efforts that have been made to quarantine all of Wuhan, if you can imagine that, and out beyond Wuhan, 
massive quarantine effort. He fears it's too little too late, which is remarkable. But this apparently began at the end of 2019. But Meanwhile, perhaps you saw tell concerning the most recently reported developments of injuries sustained by American troops at Ain al-Assad Air Base in western Iraq that was hit by missiles fired from the Islamist Iranian regime, which was in retribution for their illustrious evil general Suleimani. Kasim Suleimani. So this was retribution for that. And again, there have been multiple, multiple attacks, and they are ongoing. They will continue. But Suleimani, who was in the process of initiating a great many attacks against American embassies and American military facilities in Iraq and around Iraq at the time that he was taken down, along with some other very, very unsavory actors. But in response to that, in retaliation for that, in retribution for that, there have been these attacks And it has now been reported that 34 service members have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury following these missile strikes. Previously, it had been stated that no servicemen had been injured. (laughs) A slight difference. But, meanwhile, as I mentioned before, President Trump, He has mobilized thousands of American troops to be deployed to Iraq and to the region. Thousands have been sent into harm's way. Incredibly, of course, this is after having pulled out a comparatively modest-sized number of troops from Syria at the same time that he overtly encouraged, welcomed the Turkish president, emboldened the Turkish president, Islamist Erdogan, to invade into Syria and to pursue, attack the the Kurds, the Kurdish people, the Kurdish families, and so forth. And then, of course, he uh, didn't about face and <laughs> tried, to, tried to use all of his great influence to get Erdogan to stop. And Erdogan just thumbed his nose at him, figuratively speaking. But today, there was an intrusion at a facility known as Naval Station Great Lakes in Illinois. To my amazement, this base, 
which is north of Chicago. It is the Navy's largest training base. I just find that phenomenal. No, yeah, this base is a larger Navy training base than any on the Pacific Coast, the Atlantic Coast, or the Gulf Coast. And this is on the coast of Lake Michigan. I just, you know, landlocked in that sense. I, I just find it phenomenal. I never would have guessed that. But anyway, this person driving a vehicle, they did not follow the procedure, the protocol, the security protocol. And <laughs> we are now to believe that this person, and there was <laughs> a lockdown of the base, there was a lockdown of an adjoining facility for this unauthorized access. And now we've been told, well, this person is an employee and they are authorized. They have authorized access on the base. But I can't help but wonder, was this just a stupid thing, just a foolish thing, just careless, reckless thing? It it absolutely could have been. It may well have been that. You know, maybe maybe they were using recreational marijuana, (laughs) you know, and so... Uh, not to say that they were, mind you, but certainly not. Not on a U.S. military base. But there is another possibility. Perhaps you recall back following September 11, 2001, we were told that Islamist hijackers, such as those who committed the attacks, that there had been a rash of dry runs. Namely, probing defenses to see would there be a response? And if there was a response, how quickly would that response take place? How effective would it be? What would be the condition of the response and so forth prior to that coordinated terrorist attack? Surely this can't be anything like that. Probing the defense, the the most basic defense here at the largest Navy training facility in the United States of America. Surely not. Surely it was just accidental just stupid, just foolish, just careless, just reckless. Hopefully so. But meanwhile, a fine, fine fellow, Afghan-born U.S. citizen, you know, naturalized U.S. citizen, none other than Ahmad Khan Rahimi. Well, he was just sentenced to a successive term in prison to follow his life term in prison for setting off bombs in New York City, which injured 30 people. And here he attempted to murder a policeman and so on and so forth. And, but seeing him in court with his you know, so-called bulletproof vest, you know, 
it just oh, horrifies me. When I see this, when I see monstrous destroyers in our court system, whom we do everything in our power to protect against any possible harm, there is something so absolutely wrong about it. <laughs> and of course, he won't be executed. No. No, he was already on a life term, and now he has a successive term added to that, uh, the effect of which is, of course, well, you can imagine. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.